Members of the Church's hierarchy have argued that media coverage was excessive and disproportionate, and that such abuse also takes place in other religions and institutions. Grand jury investigated six dioceses, Allentown, Harrisburg, Pittsburgh, Greensburg, Erie, and Scranton. What things I'd like to Pope to do is I'd like him to oust any bishop who's complicit in endangering children. Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests, or SNAP, have a global mission and they hope the Pope can help. Tell me this, the Attorney General of Pennsylvania talks about how the church weaponized the faith and used it to abuse young boys. Exactly. Does that phrase ring true to you? Of course it do. Dozens of witnesses testified before the grand jury, detailing acts of sexual abuse by priests and how senior church officials covered up their criminal conduct, prioritizing their institution over the safety and welfare of these young boys and girls. The abused include boys and girls, some as young as three years old, with the majority between the ages of 11 and 14. Maybe something all of us are doing today will protect one child, and then it's all worth it. We all wish more charges could be filed, but due to the church's manipulation of our weak laws in Pennsylvania, too many predators were out of reach. The cover-up made it impossible to achieve justice for the victims. You know, let's face it, we're a very forgiving culture. When somebody says, I'm sorry, our tendency very often is to say, oh, okay, great, they're going to do better now. But for the sake of kids, we just can't make that assumption in the church, unfortunately. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. He was one of those civilized individuals who did not insist upon agreement with his political principles as a precondition for conversation or friendship. Joining me now is David Cloessy. David is the executive director of an organization that has been fighting uh, for this sort of thing for a number of years. Uh, People have attempted to discredit them as long as they've been in existence and continue to today. The organization is referred to by their acronym SNAP. It's the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, SNAP has been around for almost 30 years, but we started a support group in Boston um, in the early 90s. And luckily, um, our local leader up there kept terrific records and uh, was very generous with his time, helped an awful lot of survivors. So when the Globe was considering doing this investigation, uh, they contacted him. He met with him for four hours. And uh, frankly, they were stunned at how much information he had accumulated and how many contacts he had. And they sort of realized that if this amateur, uh, you know, could amass so much material, uh, that they really could do a thorough investigation and uh, find out an awful lot about this problem, which had been shrouded in secrecy for decades. They were skeptical of SNAP as well and uh, what your motivations were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean... We started in 1988, and um, quite frankly, until 2002, when the Globe investigation began, you know, we were very much a group of outcasts, a group of uh, uh, people who felt dreadfully hopeless because we couldn't get police or prosecutors or journalists or certainly not church officials to even return our phone calls. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
yeah, it was it was a tough, lonely road in the early days, to be sure. Well, and, and perhaps even still today, because everybody closes ranks around the church when these accusations come up. It's just some some kid with a wild imagination, or as the stories continue to come out, people just looking for a paycheck from the church. Exactly, exactly. The easiest thing when you're facing horror um, is to turn away from it, and if you can't turn away from it, then the second uh, easiest and most tempting approach is to uh, attack the motives of the people who were exposing the horror. And uh, unfortunately, that's true not just of survivors in uh, the Catholic Church, but uh, survivors of abuse in all kinds of organizational contexts and all kinds of religious faith. Mm -hmm. In Boston, it must have been even more difficult because... Uh, you know, throughout the world, there are plenty of Roman Catholics, but in the United States, in Boston, uh, that's kind of the center point of it all. Yes, and, um, you know, quite frankly, a lot of these corrupt bishops worked very, very hard, not just to silence abuse victims and witnesses and whistleblowers, but also to ingratiate themselves with uh, secular authorities, with, with police, with prosecutors, with lawmakers, uh, so that you know, if and when the scandal did erupt into public consciousness, there would be less damage to the, uh, the church hierarchy. So it's both a cultural uh, problem and, and sort of a political and social problem, too. Kids, kids are largely voiceless, and when they grow up and find their voices, it's still very, very tough to get justice and expose predators. Well, it begins w with the church, but then the parents... Uh, play a role in it. You mentioned law enforcement in Boston and throughout the country. A lot of law enforcement uh, are Irish Catholics uh, in the justice system. Uh, you know, you have major donors to the church. Nobody wants to see the church damaged by this sort of thing, even the parents. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, time and time again, victims and their relatives are, are told, but think of all the good the church does. And we in SNAP try to convey to Catholic Church employees and Catholic Church members that, you know, this is a cancer on the body of the Church. And, of course, cleansing the wound and doing surgery, uh, that, that is, of course, painful. But it's necessary. And ultimately, um, exposing these cover-ups and these predators ultimately makes the Church a healthier, safer place. So it's not like we're damaging the Church. We're, we're honestly helping the Church. Mm -hmm. The um, the Church and, and your investigations began in the late 80s. Uh, so people believe that this all came about with uh, Vatican II and the liberalization of the Church. And uh, this became a place for priests to be able to hide out or gay men to hide out and prey on boys. What's the real story? Well, the real story is that half of our... 23,000 members in SNAP, half of our members are women who were molested when they were girls by priests. This is not about the sexual orientation of priests. It's about sexual abuse by priests and cover-up by church officials. You know, it's, it's very easy for left-wing Catholics to blame right-wing bishops and right-wing Catholics to blame left-wing bishops, but the truth is that no matter where church officials fall on the ideological or theological spectrum, Sadly, they have the same approach when it comes to these horrible crimes, and that mm -hmm. is to do whatever they can in the moment to keep a lid on uh, on this horror. And it has been pretty much common knowledge uh, that when priests were caught with this sort of thing in their background, that uh, they weren't fired, they weren't turned into the authorities, they were moved to another parish. Absolutely. And tragically, I, I have to say, uh, it still goes on. It still goes on. Um, just uh, in, increasingly, though, 
because of the Internet and because of groups like SNAP. Uh, instead of moving a predator priest from the northeast corner of the diocese to the southeast corner, uh, now bishops tend to move them abroad, uh, going both ways, from developing countries to the developed world and vice versa. Um, you know, there's just a dreadful, dreadful shortage of priests. Uh, the average age of priests is going up, um, and over the last dozen or so years, literally thousands of priests have been taken out of ministry because of the abuse crisis. So all of that uh, makes it even more tempting for bishops to hang on to sexually troubled priests and seminarians, and uh, and uh, they're they're working harder and smarter in some ways to to keep a lid on this instead of going the other direction, exposing it and cleaning out the church. Well, I was uh, sad to see because I was, uh, I am, uh, I, I believe that uh, that Pope Francis has tried to shift uh, the church and its teachings and things like that, but I was saddened recently when I read that uh, there was uh, a document that was released that said that the uh, priests and the bishops don't have uh, they they don't uh, need to. I, I don't know how to put this into words. They don't they don't uh, have the responsibility of uh, of turning in uh, priests who have abused chil- children. It's not their role. It's it should be left to the authorities. Is that how it came out? That's exactly how it came out, and it and um, it's it's just mind numbing. <laughs> that you know, given the uh, how how long standing and deeply rooted and widespread. Uh, this terrible, terrible crisis is, it's mind-numbing that even now, at the highest echelons of the Church, you have Catholic officials saying, no, no, we don't have to call the cops. I mean, common sense tells you that these are criminal acts, they deserve to be treated as criminal acts, and they deserve to be uh, and need to be investigated by the independent, experienced professionals in law enforcement. And it, it, again, ironically, it helps both victims and kids and the Church when law enforcement is able to do these investigations and punish the wrongdoers and deter the cover-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's terrible that church officials still insist on trying to handle this in-house. I can't imagine what it is like for a victim of, uh, of the predators uh, in the church to have tried to tell their parents. And, you know, maybe even today, uh, parents are blind to the church doing anything wrong or the priest doing anything wrong. And especially back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, that uh, the priest was above everybody else in the community, and there's no way to cast dispersions against uh, uh, the Holy Father. That's that's exactly the way the situation was and remains uh, somewhat um, but, but especially in, in minority communities, uh, still I think too many of us have this tendency to put priests on pedestals and assume that uh, someone who wraps themselves you know, in religious garb and, and uh, titles is, is somehow a, a better, holier person. Mm-hmm. Um, and the simple fact is that we're all human, and um, we've got to somehow get over this notion that child molesters are obvious social misfits. They're, they're people who give you the creeps just looking at them. They're not. I mean, they're very popular, powerful, charismatic, smart people. You know, if they didn't have those traits, uh, no kid would want to be around them, and no parent would trust their kids around them. So uh, it doesn't matter if it's a principal, if it's a preacher, um, if it's a politician. You know, we, we just have to understand that child molesters are found in every walk of life, every institution, and every position, high and low. Mm-hmm. My, my biggest concern and the hardest part, I think, is, is uh, that 
some people may walk away thinking, you know, what a terrible chapter in the church's history, and assume that things are magically getting better. With most problems, once there's more public awareness, uh, reforms happen. But uh, we struggle in SNAP to remind people that this is a monarchy. It's an incredibly old, resilient, powerful monarchy. And so public awareness does not guarantee reform. Um, unfortunately, reforms have to be imposed by uh, parishioners, uh, journalists, secular authorities. Um, and so that's, that's what we would stress more than anything else. I mean, we have on our website, for example, a list of 12 priests in the U.S. who are credibly accused child molesters who are still in parishes today. The crisis is anything but historical. It's still going on. Well, I was watching the movie Spotlight with my wife at the end. As the credits rolled, uh, there was a listing of all the cities in the world but in the United States, where uh, there was a cover-up going on, and she was shocked to see that Pittsburgh came up on that list. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a terrific website called bishopaccountability.org, bishopaccountability.org. Uh, it's an online archive about the crisis, and uh, it lists predator priests by diocese. And it, um, it basically says that there are about six dioceses in the U.S. where there has not been a predator-priest case, six out of a nearly 200 dioceses. So that gives you some sense of the, of the scope of this. And we believe that the problem is even uh, much more under wraps in the developing world, where, where there's not so much uh, aggressive law enforcement and uh, solid investigative journalism and uh, strong child safety laws. So as bad as it is here in the States, uh, we believe, again, the problem is, is uh, just as bad or worse overseas, unfortunately. Has the Church ever acknowledged this um, from the Pope on down, other than to say, we're sorry that this happened, as you said, a sad chapter in the Church's history, but how do they explain these predator priests? You know, um, there's a variety of sort of uh, PR tactics that Church officials use. Uh, they, they claim, first of all, it's a small percentage. It happened long ago. We, the bishops, just didn't know better. Um, and, and tragically, none of that is true. Um, in, uh, in the eight or ten jurisdictions in the U.S. where there have been independent grand jury investigations, the percentage of predator priests is up around 10%. Uh, so it's not an isolated problem. Um, and the notion that bishops, you know, gee, shucks, years ago we, we just didn't know, we didn't understand, um, documents that have come out in criminal prosecution and in civil cases just prove that that is not the case. Bishops are very well educated. They have smart, smart lawyers and advisors and PR people and insurance companies. They, they've known exactly about this crisis over the years. You know, let's face it, we're a very forgiving culture. When mm -hmm. somebody says, I'm sorry, our tendency very often is to say, oh, okay, great. They're, they're going to do better now. Yeah. But for the sake of kids, we just can't uh, we just can't make that assumption in the church, unfortunately. We're talking with David Klossy. He is with the SNAP Survivors Network of the Those Abused by Priests. The movie Spotlight is about the Boston Globe's investigation into sexual misconduct, sexual sexual abuse uh, from the clergy. In the clergy, uh, some of the statistics that jumped out uh, was that they take a vow of uh, celibacy, but uh, at least 50% of priests are sexually active in some way, and that uh, numbers of uh, of Priest predators, uh, when they thought it was 12 or 13, ended up to be close to 90. Right, and ultimately, there are now 256 uh, publicly accused predator priests in the Boston Archdiocese alone. 
and nationally in the U.S., the bishops themselves acknowledge now that there have been 6,400 priests accused of abuse. Again, we in SNAP think that that's just the tip of the iceberg, but it's, uh, hmm. it's, it's painfully, painfully um, widespread, as, unfortunately, is the pattern of, of concealing it. Hmm. You know, we always say that when, you, when you're caught doing wrong, you've got two options, right? You can either stop doing wrong, or you can work harder and smarter to conceal it. Mm-hmm. And uh, because there is such a shortage of priests and seminarians, a lot of church officials have chosen to just work harder and smarter to keep this under wraps. Are the, is there a reason, and I know I'll have to let you go here in a second, uh, is there a reason that so many of these predators are drawn to the priesthood? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, in, in, in the Catholic world, in Catholic theology, Celibacy is considered a gift that God gives someone. So I think what happens is you have a lot of sexually troubled, uh, devout, well-meaning Catholic teenagers and Catholic young men who are bothered because they feel some sexual attraction for their nephew or their cousin. And they think, well, if I become a priest, God will then, in turn, grant me this gift of celibacy, and these frightening urges will go away. But tragically, it just doesn't seem to happen. Um, and they, they, enter, they enter a system that's riddled with secrecy, and, and in a system where no one can have sex of any sort, then an awful lot of the clergy are going to have sexual secrets, and if you have a sexual secret, you're not about to rat on your brother priest who also has a sexual secret. Tell my audience how they can get more information about SNAP, and if there are anybody, any people in my listening audience uh, who has been... Uh, hiding this uh, this terrible secret for so long, where they can turn. Thank you very much, Mike. Um, our website is snapnetwork.org, snapnetwork.org. We have an 800 number, 1-877-SNAP-HEELS, 1-877-SNAP-HEELS. And by all means, if, you see, if you've seen or suspected or suffered these crimes are cover up, please, please, please reach out, get some help. Uh, expose the predators and, and start to heal because it's, it's healing is possible, but it is not possible if you just try to bury this and keep a lid on it. Got to get some support from people who've walked the same path. It's an important message and important work that you do at the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. David, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. This is Mike Romine. Thank you for listening to the live mic. Like, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast app. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. If a priest some years ago walked down here and I walked up in my uniform, I had to salute him, a regimental salute. If I passed the Catholic Church, I had to salute the Catholic Church. There were gods. There were gods.